Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. We're glad you are here. Thank you for uh, sharing the services. Those of you who are watching online, we appreciate that. And this is a very special day. We have, if you have not already noticed when you came in, a very special lady here this week. We support the ministry of Bayamba, of God Care Schools in the country of Uganda. And in fact, uh, we sponsor about 300 children. Uh, in that school, and we've had groups go over. Well, one of the founding directors, she and her family started this ministry. And Florence, are you here? Where are you? There she is, right there. There's Miss Florence. Would you welcome her this morning? You will not meet a more enthusiastic, a more, uh, a, a more on fire for God woman than that lady right there, and we love her. We pray for them often, and we're so uh, just so honored to be able to support all that they're doing there. She'll be available, by the way, if you haven't met her, she'll be available. If you're interested in sponsoring a child, it'd be a wonderful thing to do. Um, be sure and see her after this service is over. If nothing, just hug her neck, tell her you love her and pray for her. We're honored that she could be here. I guarantee you she, she's traveled the greatest distance to be here of anybody in the room. So I'm glad she's here. Hey, we're starting a new series this weekend called Revival, Revival. Now, I don't know if you're a church person, if you grew up in church. I'm a church kid, my dad was a pastor, so I've grown, up, I've grown up in church, I've known church. Well, my dad would have revivals. He was an old time, I've told you about an old time Baptist preacher, hell, fire, and brimstone. I've told you before, I've got some of his old preaching Bibles up in my office right now, and they still smoke like old nuclear reactors. Man, he'd lay it down, hit you hard. That was my dad. And we would have in the summertime, now he picked July uh, to do these revivals, outdoor revivals under a tent. Anybody been to a tent revival ever in your life? Okay, good. 9.30, I had like four of them, a bunch of heathens, only four of them. But, um, but you guys kind of get it. It was a, like a big circus tent, thing seat like a thousand people, uh, had those folding chairs, sawdust on the ground. Uh, they even had, now I'm gonna really sound like an old guy when I tell you this, but they had the funeral home furnish little fans that you could fan yourself with and have an advertisement. I mean, this sounds like a scene out of The Apostle with, uh, what was that, uh, Robert Duvall, remember that old movie? It, it, it's that kind of a deal, but man, that, that was it. They'd have quartets in, they'd sing, and sometimes these revivals would go three weeks. Now understand, I, I'm, I, I'm all about revival, but when you're a little kid, you ain't wanting to go to church every night for three weeks. But I had no choice. Man, I went every night. And so when I think about the word revival, we talked about the series Revival. That was my reference point. I thought, man, I grew up going to revivals and extended, they called them protracted meetings, right? Where you had these wonderful evangelistic uh, uh, preaching and singing, and they really were a, a, a wonderful part of my childhood growing up. But in reality, the, the idea of revival means to bring to life something that has faded, something that has Dwindle. Uh, re, the idea of the word, uh, the idea of re, if you just kind of uh, do an etymology on the word, re means again. Vive is to invigorate, to bring to life. So revive is to bring something to life again. And so that's kind of the idea of revival, is, is taking us where we are, allowing us to evaluate, is there a time in our life when we love God more, served Him more, we've been more passionate about what we're doing than we are now? If so, 
then we need revival. So this series, I hope, will be a blessing to you. I hope it'll be a great way to evaluate kind of where you are in your walk with God, or even if you have a walk with God, and help you evaluate that. Because really, understanding revival is really rooted in understanding young love. Young love. Now, I don't know how many of you have kids. Uh, Cindy and I, our kids are grown now. We have grandkids. But I remember, do you, you remember, maybe, maybe this would be a good reference for you. You remember when you were a kid, you remember, let me speak from a boy's point of view. You remember when you were a little boy, fellas, and there was this point in time in life where you had no interest in girls, none. And back in my day, they said girls had cooties. Remember that? I never knew what a cootie was. They just said, Girl, girls have the cooties. You stay away from them. They got these little germy things that'll jump off on you and get all over you. Ooh, girls are, ugh, you know? And there's little boys, who won't be around girls. Oh my gosh, man, that, that germs, they'll jump off on you. They'll get all over you. But all of a sudden, man, something happens to a little boy. I can't explain it, but they suddenly start getting interested in girls. You remember that? In fact, here's, here's, the, first, here's the first sign. The first sign is they start bathing on their own. They actually get in the shower without you having to tell them, Mom. You listen to the door, and all the water's running. I hear water, they're splashing around. They're actually getting in the water. And then here's another sign, they use deodorant. Oh my gosh, they're bathing, they're using deodorant. And then the third thing is they maybe throw in a little cologne. Man, they care how they smell. And all of a sudden you start realizing it. Boy, they discovered girls. All of a sudden, man, they, they are fixated and they are focused on the girl. And now everything, is, what's happening? They're discovering young love. They're finding out this attraction they have to someone else and they've never felt that way before. Now I know sometimes you dismiss it. I grew up, they say, oh, it's puppy love. You ever hear that expression? Oh, it's puppy love. They go, I know it's puppy love, but here's what we, we'd agree on parents. It's real to the puppy. <laughs> I mean, man, when they're in the zone, it is a real thing to them. We, I had out in the lobby one time after a service, these kids were kind of running around. I was talking to parents and, and this little girl runs up, up to me. She's all out of breath and she goes, he's chasing me. He won't quit chasing me. And I said, you know what, honey? Just quit running. He won't know what to do with you when he catches you. I said, okay. I thought, you know what? That's pretty good relationship advice. Most of the time when a guy's pursuing you, he won't know what to do with you if he catches you. Heard about a guy who was fixated on this girl. He really liked her a lot. She just, man, just rejected all of his, you know, just didn't want to have anything to do with him at all. And finally, he just said, well, is there somebody else? And she said, there has to be. <laughs> there just has to be somebody else. Uh, but the reality of it is, you know, we all understand the principle of young love, how exciting and how thrilling it was to pursue someone or to be pursued by someone, that idea of being desired by someone and then making that special love connection and having all of the romance and the excitement that goes with it, getting married and having that, uh, you know, that wonderful honeymoon experience, it is all tied into young love. Well, what's hard about that to, for some people to really wrap their heads around is as you're in a relationship and as you kind of mature, that young love and sometimes that spark can dwindle. It can go away. And I know sometimes it's just the maturing of people. It doesn't mean they don't love each other. It just means it's a little different. But sometimes, you know, you, you miss the spark and you miss the passion of young love. It's like this elderly couple, they were sitting, watching television one night and the woman looks over at him and she says, you know, we used to watch television right next to each other. You used to sit right by me. So the old fella got himself up and walked over and sat down by her. 
A little while, she said, you know what? When we watched television, you used to hold my hand. So we reached over and held her hand. And she said, you know what? When we watched television, you used to take that other hand, you'd put it around me and you'd cuddle with me. You'd hold me tight. So he reached around her, he pulls her in, holds her tight. And she goes, you know what? I can remember a time when you'd even nibble on my ear. And all of a sudden he gets up and walks out of the room. She says, honey, where are you going? I didn't mean to offend you. He goes, I'm not going anywhere. I just had to go get my teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, things change. I get it. Your relationship matures. Everything doesn't always say the same, but here's what I know about a relationship with another person. You, You don't have to lose the passion. You, you, can, you can, in fact, there's a great book out that talks about relationships, it's called Rekindled. It's the idea that the fire can sometimes uh, you know, burn down to the embers and you can rekindle that fire because something attracted you to one another, something caused you to love one another, something caused you to, to take a chance with one another. And so before you throw it away, I'd say, see if that relationship can be rekindled. Now, look, if we know that about you and us and we know that about our relationships with other people, can I tell you similar things happen with our relationship toward God? Have you ever talked about the fact that it is possible for your passionate pursuit of God to dwindle, to need to be rekindled, or here's our word, to need to be revived? That it wasn't like it used to be. And sadly, I would hear this in the church when I grew up. I'd hear, see some young Christian was so on fire for God. They were so excited, man. They couldn't get, get enough of church. They wanted to read the Bible. They wanted to learn more. They got involved back then in Sunday school. Now we'd say in our groups, they're trying to press into God and learn more. And invariably, there'd be some older member in the church that's been around a long time. And they'd say, oh, they'll get over it. They're excited now, but they'll get over it. They're, you know, they're passionate, but in other words, they're, they're, they're gonna get as, as, as dull and dead as I am eventually. They'll get out, they'll never get over it, you know? And sadly, in a lot of churches, churches have developed, you know, church potatoes. <laughs> People who just sit and soak and sour. <laughs> and the passion has gone. And when you, you think about revival, you know, we could talk about having revival on a, a big scale. Well, wouldn't it be great to see America experience a spiritual awakening? And boy, it needs to happen. And I'd love to see that happen. To see it affect the world, to see a spirit. But that's overwhelming to think about. Or you might say, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if our community, just our community had a spiritual awakening, we have a revival. Well, that's exciting, but that, that can be overwhelming in your mind. Or you might even say, wouldn't it be amazing to see our church have this incredible move of God's spirit and see a spiritual awakening and a revival within our church That would be amazing, and I pray that that happens, but that can seem overwhelming. So here's really where the series goes, and this is really the heart of what I wanna talk to you about, is the fact that we can't control a revival in our nation or in our community or even in our church, but we can control a revival in us. I can have a revival in me. A spiritual awakening and a real revival and a renewal of my passion for God is not predicated upon my family, my job, the economy, the political picture, none of those things can affect that passion that I can have for God. Look, there are people who may be able to sing better than you, who can perform better than you, who can sell better than you, who can do a lot of things, but here's what no one can do. Nobody can love Jesus better than you. You can be the very best person of loving God in your, so so really the heart of my message, because here's what I know. I know if enough of us 
Remember we did the 21 days of prayer and fasting when we started the year off? And honestly, my faith was rebuked. I told you, ah, we got a few hundred people, that'd be amazing. And we ended up like a thousand people who did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we'll be sharing stories that we're still hearing that came out of that experience of those 21 days of pressing into God. And I can tell you, here's what I know. I know if we had a core of people who were interested in having a real spiritual renewal in their own life, you know what it'll do? It'll impact your family. You know what happens when you get blessed? Everybody around you gets blessed. You know what happens when God moves in your heart? Anyone connected to you gets blessed. So if you wanna change your family, you change. Sometimes say, oh my God, just changed my husband, man, I might change my wife or my kids. Oh man, if we just, you know, look, you, you're not in control of that. Here's the prayer to pray, God change me. Because if he changes you, he's gonna give your spouse somebody different to respond to. If he changes you, he's gonna give your kids somebody different to react to. So I'm saying the heart of this series and really where I want you to take this personally is to say, God, I want to see something happen in me. And when it happens in you, it'll impact your family, it'll impact this church, it'll impact this community, and wow, it could possibly impact the country. So let's think about revival. Let's think about this idea of renewal. Well, the verse that we wanna spend some time in, we're gonna to try to really break it apart for you, is an Old Testament passage that some of you guys are probably familiar with. When I share this verse with you, I know what some people think. Well, that was prior to the church being established. And Bill, you're taking an Old Testament passage and you're comparing it to a New Testament uh, idea, which was the local church. And so you're taking this Old Testament principle and you're trying to work it into the New Testament. Well, let me explain my thinking. In the Old Testament, the Bible says, according to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, that the things that happened to those Old Testament folks happened as examples to us. So everything that happened in the Old Testament is relevant to us today. In principle and in precept, we learn from the Old Testament. Sometimes we see good examples of good examples. Sometimes we see good examples of bad examples. <laughs> but everything in the Old Testament is relevant to us even today. Now the verse I'm going to share with you was a verse that was actually given to the nation of Israel. It was given at the time when King Solomon dedicated the temple. It was a promise of God to his people that if his people really pressed into him, not only would he impact their lives, he would impact the lives of all of those around him. And so in the interpretation of the passage I'm gonna share with you is that this was given to the nation Israel at the time of the dedication of the temple. When you study the Bible, I've given you this principle before, you understand there is interpretation and there is application. The interpretation of a text means I understand who this was given to, what were the circumstances surrounding it, and I understand how this text is to be interpreted. And in 1 Peter, he said there's no scripture given of any private interpretation. Now, what does that mean? That means you can't take a piece out of the Bible, bend it, contort it, twist it, and make it say anything you want it to say. That's how cults get formed. They take a little Bible over here, a little Bible over there, a little Bible over there, they put all of it together and they create a position, a philosophy. You can't do that. You, when you study the Bible, you have to ask, what did it mean then? What does it mean now? And then what does it mean to me? And you study it in its historic context. And I've given you that interpretation, given to King Solomon, to the nation Israel, at the dedication of the temple. However. Just as there is the interpretation of a text, there is the application of a text. 
that a, a, a scripture could be applied, though maybe not interpreted this way, but applied this way. For example, when I was in Sunday school growing up, in Revelation 3, there's this picture where the Bible says, Jesus is standing at the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and will open, I'll come in and fellowship with them and they with me. Now, the interpretation of that passage is Jesus is on the outside of one of his churches trying to get in. It's terrible. Hello, it's about me and I'm not in there, you know. And you can build a church on personalities. You can build a church on programs. You can build a church on every, and God will stand back and let you go. But if you want to build a Jesus, a thrilled, Holy Spirit filled church, you better have Jesus in the middle of it. And so he's knocking, trying to get in the door of one of his churches. That's the interpretation. Now the application of the verse is as I was taught in Sunday school. I had a Sunday school teacher who used a teaching method called flannel graph. Remember, you, some of you remember that? It was these cut out images that were put on a little cloth board. They called it flannel graph. And so she had this image of, of this guy that was supposed to be Jesus. He, he looks like somebody off the Grateful Dead. He's got long hair and a beard and he's standing at the door in a robe, knocking on the door. And she said to us, she said, boys and girls, that's Jesus standing, knocking on your heart's door, wanting to come in. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the interpretation of that verse, but it's a good application of that verse. Are you following me? So you can have an application. What I wanna do with the series by using our text in the Old Testament is take an application. In this, we're gonna see some principles that God gave to his people that work for us even today. And with that said, look with me in 2 Chronicles 7. Look at verse 14, probably one of the most famous passages on revival that people have ever read. And he said this, if my people, if. That's why the first message out, I called this the condition for revival. The condition, the, 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 what has to happen before God really moves? God's willing. <laughs> He's willing to do something great in your life and in mine. Remember I shared with you this for good news, bad news, remember that? I said the good news is you can have all of God you want God will not withhold himself. You can have all of his Holy Spirit you want. Bad news is, you got all of God you want. <laughs> you, you gotta increase your capacity. And he says here, if, 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 if my people, note now, if my people who are called by my name. And again, I'm gonna unpack this because revival coming to me, to my family, to my church, to my community, and to our country is not predicated upon anything other than my commitment to my God. He said, if my people, you wanna see something big happen in a nation, you wanna see something big happen in your community or in your church, if my people who get serious about this, who are called by my name, and then we'll get into this, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, God always works after then. Have you noticed every uh, promise in the Bible is conditional? God says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you call on me, I will answer. If you receive me, I'll save you. If you'll repent, I'll embrace you. If every promise in the Bible is conditional, he's saying, if you want a revival, <laughs> a spiritual renewal, an awakening in your life, it is, it is absolutely up to you. If you'll humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from wicked ways, he said, then, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, I will heal their land. The first thing I thought about when I read that was what I'm calling the desire, the desire of God's heart. The desire of his heart 
is to work in and then work through his people. If my people who are called by my name, God's heart is to do something in the lives of his children. Have you ever thought about this? The primary purpose of God saving us, the primary purpose is for us to glorify him, to bring him glory. Now, what does that even mean? I use a term like glorify God, and it sounds Christianese. You're like, well, that's a Christian expression that I don't know if I even know what it means. Let me give you the simplest definition of glorify God. It means to be a reflection of everything God is. God can, uh, a person can look at your life and see Jesus living in you. When he sees Jesus living in you, you are glorifying him. Remember Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That was Paul's desire to glorify God. In Ephesians 4, he said, unto him be glory in the church, meaning that the church should be a reflection of everything he is. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. <laughs> we are the body of Christ here on the earth, and as his body, we should be a reflection of everything he is. We ought to love like he loved. We ought to be as forgiving as he was forgiving. We ought to be willing to go the second mile with people as he was willing to go the second mile. There ought not to be one characteristic of God that we cannot see in the life of the church or in our lives as well. So I'm suggesting that the primary reason God has us here as his people who are called by his name is to bring him, is to bring him glory. We often quote Romans 8, 28, and I love it, for the Bible says, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called to his purpose. Thank God a verse like that is in the Bible. It really helps you connect the dots when things don't make sense. You can just step back and go, okay, God, I know somehow, some way, someday, this will work for my good and your glory because you said it. But if you keep reading and look at verse 29, he says that he is here in a process of conforming us into the image of his son. Wow. Meaning that God is trying to work through a process in your life and mine to make us look more like his people called by his name. Now that's a process. Uh, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is past and the new has come. That's a process. Nobody is born fully grown. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again, uh, spiritually born. Just as you were born physically, you have to be born spiritually. Well, nobody is born full grown. You gotta grow. It's gonna take time. This process of being conformed in the image of God's son is a process. I watched a guy one time that was good at carving, you know, these little takes a chunk of wood and he could just carve these incredible things out of it. I, I, I'm always amazed at people who have artistic ability. I have none, so I, but I can appreciate it. And I'm watching this guy and I'm seeing the examples of what he's carved on the shelf behind him. And finally he got to a moment, I said, man, I, I just don't get, how do you do that? I know you have a gift that's just a God-given gift, but how, how, do you, how do you envision that thing becoming what it becomes. And you know what he said? He said, I look at the wood, but I don't see the wood for what it is. I see the wood for what it could be. In other words, in that wood, I see the image of what I'm going to create. And what I do is I start with that. And he said, I just carve away anything that doesn't look like the image that I know that will ultimately be. And I thought, I could use that. In fact, I'm using that. That's it. God, when God looks at your life and mine, he, he doesn't just see what we are, he sees what we could be. 
He sees the potential that we possess. He says, he's not bringing me a lot of glory now, but if I keep working on him and he keeps responding to me working on him, eventually <laughs> he's gonna bring me some glory. He's gonna touch some lives that the church will never touch and he's gonna have influence over people that'll never walk through the doors of the church. He may be the only Bible someone reads and the only sign of Jesus they may ever see is what they see in him or her. So that's why there's a little carving going on from time to time. Sometimes God shows his love for us by not just what he gives us, sometimes by what he withdraws from us. Remember that great old hymn, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I don't think it's a hymn. But the point is, sometimes you, you have to stop and think about, I'm so thankful that I didn't receive everything I prayed for. And I'm just saying that the people who are called by his name have his heart, they have his interest. God desires to do something in his people. We talk about worship. And a lot of times when we come to church and we worship, we, we spend two or three songs just getting ourselves as Christians to the level that we should have been when we walked through the door. Can you imagine if we came, if we brought our worship with us, if we came worshiping, if we walked into the room at the same spiritual level that hopefully we walk out of the room, what a difference potentially and exponentially that could make in the life of a worship service. If we came in worshiping. I'm just saying, folks, we, we sometimes settle far below the level God has designed us to live on. And the first thing we have to get our heads around if we're gonna have revival is we have to know this is the desire of God for us is that we be a reflection of who he is, that we worship him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. Remember the attorney said, Lord, what is the greatest command? And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God, Matthew 23 with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, about half the commands are directed toward how we respond to God, and the other half are how we respond to each other. Here's what he was saying. He's saying, if you loved me as you should, you'd never violate a command against God. And if we loved each other as we should, we'd never violate a command against each other. It's all about the passion, the heart, the fire. What happened to the church at Ephesus? Well, it's my second point. There is a drifting of his people. We start passionately and we start on fire, but if we aren't careful, we, we drift. The church at Laodicea, they became lukewarm. Not really cold, they did not not like God, but not really hot, they weren't on fire for God, they were just somewhere in between, lukewarm. They, they were saying to God, God, we love you, but you just don't do it for us anymore. We're just not that passionate about you anymore. We're just not that interested anymore. I mean, we still like you and we love you, and well, but we're just not, we're, we're, we're not as fired up as we used to be. We, we're, we're somewhere between hot and, we're lukewarm. Then you had the church at Ephesus. You know what he said to them? You've left your first love. Like the relationship thing I talked to you about earlier. We're, we're not as passionate in our pursuit of each other. We, we take each other for granted. We, we look at God almost like, well, we know he's always gonna be there, so we'll call him when we need him. And we don't really, uh, you know, instead of partnering with him each and every day, we just kind of have him there as the net under the wire, as the fire extinguisher, <laughs> you know. He's there to kind of rescue us when we get in over our head. And he's all that, he's all of that. But he's sitting there saying, I want so much more. I wanna walk with you and talk with you and be able to tell you that I'm your own. I, I, I wanna I have communion with you, not just a connection to you. But we drift. 
In fact, in Hebrews, the writer uses that expression. That's where I got the word drift from. In Hebrews chapter two, verse three, he said, we give the earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest any of the things that we heard should slip away, should drift. It's a nautical term. It's a nautical term, slip away. It's the idea of a captain bringing a ship to shore and he knows he needs to dock the vessel. And the closer he gets to the dock, the more cautious he is about the speed, about you know, how the ship is turned. He wants to give great care because if he doesn't give such care, then it will drift, it will miss the mark. It won't hit the goal. What's the point? What was the writer of Hebrews trying to say? He's trying to say, guys, if we don't remain intentional, and purposeful and persistent in our walk with God, we will drift, we'll slip away. No, nobody intends on that. You don't, you, don't, you don't intend on that happening in your personal relationship. I've done a lot of, gosh, I've done a lot of weddings. I'll get asked that from time to time. How many weddings do you think you've done? I have no idea, none. I have no idea. But here's what I'll tell you about them. I've never done a wedding for anybody that didn't have the intention for the wedding to work. They all wanted them to work. Now we know stuff happens and man, sometimes abuse and, and, and infidelity and there's, there's a lot of stuff that can happen that causes relationships to break up and I understand that. And we minister a lot of people. We have a lot of people ministering to others who walk down that road. I, I guess that's a reality of life. I'm saying going into the relationship, no one planned on that happening. No one planned on it. It happened. Can I tell you, no one who's committed to Christ ever thought there would be a time in their life when they might walk away. And yet I can tell you, we have hundreds and hundreds of people who call this their church home that have gone through some experience in life where they walked away, walked away. Sometimes it might've been something they brought on themselves because I've heard people, they'll kick into that martyr mode and all the world, they did me wrong and all this. And sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes that is true. Sometimes it's not true. Sometimes you're dealing with a perception and in a relationship, when you're dealing with a perception, if somebody says this is hot, even though you know it isn't hot, you have to treat them as though it is hot because it's hot to them, <laughs> you know? And so you have to understand a person's perception in a situation, even though you may not agree with them. That's their perception. They'll have to work through that in some way. And I'm saying sometimes the, the thing that draws us away from God is real. And sometimes it's just real in our own head. Sometimes it's a pattern. Remember I said there's a difference between seasons and cycles. When you're in a cycle, that means this thing tends to happen a lot. You tend to not be able to stay in a relationship long, in and out. You tend to not be able to stay committed to a career very long, you're just in and out. Because it might be a cycle, and at some point you need to hear somebody like me say that to your heart, knowing that I love you and care about you, to get you to slow down and think about it. Maybe I'm in a cycle that's not healthy. Maybe the world isn't wrong, or the church. maybe I'm the one that's wrong. <gasps> oh God, should I even consider that? And most people who are in that cycle don't consider that. Sometimes it's a season. You're just in a bad season. It'll pass. You're in a bad season. But you have to deal with those uh, uh, things because they'll draw you to God or they drive you away from God. And I'm just saying as we navigate through life, you understand if I'm not persistent in my pursuit of God, the things that I experience, real or imagined, cause me to drift. Man, if you're in a boat and you come into the dock and you kill the motor too soon, <laughs> or you drop the sail, or you pull in the oars, you're probably not gonna drift right in there to where you wanna go. Chances are you're gonna miss the dock completely and you're gonna go back out to the lake. What's my point? Intentional focus because there is a danger we have in our walk with God where we may drift. So there is the danger 
of drifting. Here's the third and the final part. We also have what I'm calling the drawing, the drawing of his spirit. Here's what I'll tell you. If you're a child of God, if you know him as your savior, and you've drifted, your heart's not as passionate about God, maybe the things you've gone through have pushed you away instead of drawn you in, and you're in that zone. If you belong to him, you can walk away, but you can't stay away. You know what's gonna happen sooner or later? He's gonna bring you home. He's gonna bring you home. It's the principle of the prodigal. While the prodigal left the father and went and did his own thing, the father let him go. But he stood at the door, he stood on the front porch watching for that boy every day. Can I tell you, for some of you guys, your heavenly father's been standing on the porch, <laughs> the portals of heaven, waiting on you to come home. You've walked away, but you can't stay away because his spirit is bringing you back, bringing you back. And this thing of revival is an awakening, I pray, in our own heart and mind to evaluate where we are spiritually and to say, God, I haven't been as passionate. My, my, my passion for you hasn't been, I don't read my Bible like I should. I don't serve you like I ought. I don't share my faith. I don't encourage other people. I don't even know if I love other people like I used to. And if you can remember a time when you're more passionate than you are now, you need revival. And I'm just telling you, I need it in my own heart. There's areas of my life, as I've studied for this, I say, oh man, I'm short there. I, I don't measure up there. I need some help there. Brother needs some help here. So I need it, my, I'm telling you, I need it in my own heart. I'm praying that this guy has revival. And through this series, I hope I can share some principles with you that will entice you and inspire you to want more of God in your life to have truly revival. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, for the promise you gave to Isaiah that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And Lord, I believe that so strongly that I don't think it's an accident we're in this room. I don't think it's an accident we're watching online. I believe we had something. Maybe it was in the worship. Maybe it was in an announcement. Maybe it was in the teaching and preaching of your word, but we had something. You had something in there. Your Holy Spirit wanted us to hear. So now, Father, the responsibility is on us to not just to be a hearer of your word, but to be a doer, to put your word into practice. We've been in this big holy huddle, and now we're about to break and go out into the world. Help us to execute the word you've given us. I pray you'll create a passion in all of our hearts for you. I pray that it'll affect the worship. When we walk in here, I pray the worship would be at a new level. When we hear your word, that there'll be a hunger for your Holy Spirit to speak to us, that we as a, a people could experience a revival. And then finally, Lord, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as their savior, that this might be the moment where they swallow their pride and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. And Father, we'll give you praise for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.